This program may contain explicit language. Also, we have a newsletter coming out. It's at slate.com slash gist news. Now on with the possibly filthy show. It's Friday, March 15th, 2019. From Slate, to the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. The president has issued his first veto. He says it's an emergency and therefore it's an emergency unless the courts intercede. Enough senators are going along with him to put his proposed wall spending into effect. And when we say enough senators, we mean no Democrats, but enough Republicans. And when we say enough Republicans, we mean Republicans who either A, do not think there are constitutional implications, B, do not care about the Constitution, or C, and this is my favorite subset, do think there are constitutional implications, do care about them, but still want to let the president have his way because, yeah, election. Let's be honest. Fox News talked about two of these particular profiles and weakness. When I said Tom Tillis and Ben Sass, these are people who spoke out against the national emergency declaration but voted against this resolution today. Tom Tillis didn't just speak out against it. He wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post that said it would be intellectually dishonest not to vote against uh, the president's declaration because he had opposed similar actions by President Obama when he was in the White House as an overreach of presidential authority. And yet he flipped. Indeed. Perhaps Tom Tillis has a side business producing political ads against himself. Oh, no, not in the general, in the primary. So worried about being primaried. I would say, sir, you are from North Carolina. The Republicans are not exactly on a winning streak there, and you can't gerrymander a state. Also, that whole absentee ballot collection service that certain consultants offered, it's becoming less and less in favor. But what about that op-ed? You heard about that op-ed. See, I think Tom Tillis has a chance to spin this whole thing, lest the seemingly spineless Senator Tillis be permanently classified outside the phylum chordata. What he needs to do is say, look, look, guys, it's all in the delivery. Like, here was the headline. Under my byline, Washington Post, opinions, it said, I support Trump's vision on border security, but I would vote against the emergency. Now, it should be heard like this. I support Trump's vision on border security, but I would vote against the emergency. And the entire body of the op-ed is just the words, if it weren't for the election. Now, if that doesn't work, he could also claim that he got bad copy editing. And then you blame the media and everyone loves this. Guys, you didn't even get my edits. Okay, let's go. Paragraph five, quote, this is what you ran. I'm a member of the Senate. I have grave concerns when our institutions look the other way at the expense of weakening Congress's power. Not grave concerns. It should have been I caved on concerns. Moving on. As, as written, it is my responsibility to be a steward of the Article I branch to preserve the separation of powers to curb the kind of executive overreach Congress has allowed. Steward should be sewer. Curb should be turd. And how about this part? How'd you guys miss this? There is no intellectual honesty in now turning around and arguing that there is an imaginary asterisk attached to executive overreach, that it's acceptable for my party, but not thy party. What? I don't even know what thy party means. What is thy party? I was referencing the THA party, the Hessian Youth Party. They're like skinheads from Bavaria. What, am I supposed to support them? And finally, last paragraph. These are the reasons I would vote in favor of the resolution disapproving 
of the president's national emergency declaration if and when it comes before the Senate. You just left out the last word. You dropped my kicker. I clearly wrote the word psych. It was there in bright crayon. On the show today, my thoughts on the horrible attacks in New Zealand. And in a way, it will relate to this, my guest. Because up next, I will be talking to Kara Swisher of Recode Decode. And we talk about a lot of things, but we do hit on Mr. Zuckerberg. How Mark Zuckerberg seems naive and reckless. And I got to say that I believe we are all bearing the consequences of that recklessness in all corners of the globe. But here now, a far-reaching conversation with the great Kara Swisher. So right now I want to talk to Kara Swisher, whose podcast, I would say, well, she has a bunch of them. So she's in my ears, I don't know, two or three times a week. She is the founder of Recode. She writes opinion pieces for the New York Times, and she's had a long career with the Wall Street Journal. What she does is she knows the actual players in Silicon Valley, and she'll do this thing where she'll fairly characterize who they are, what their mindset is, and then when necessary, which is more often than not, she will come down on them hard. She is an essential voice if you're not listening to uh, the suite of Recode podcast, do so. Hello, Kara. Thanks Hi, for joining me. Hi, how are you me. doing? I'm, I'm doing well. Thanks so much. Let's start with this. I think that so often, you know the people in Silicon Valley really well, and mm-hmm. I think so often our take on these big tech companies that influence our life is a little like Congress in that we focus on the personalities. Sure. And we say, if this person didn't have these quirks or if that person didn't have these failings, it wouldn't be like that. But I don't look at Congress like that. I think it's mostly structural. Mm-hmm. And I suspect it is, too, with the world of digital media. No, actually, it isn't. Because, it isn't. Great. Because here's this is why. why I love you. Um, <laughs> these are the founders of mm-hmm. these companies, or living, living founders. It's like you have Edison or Tesla, the original Tesla, not the car. Um, or Henry Ford around. And so it's a very different dynamic when it's founders because they're, they're semi-religious about what they're doing. Um, they're they're, they're uh, charismatic. They have a different quality than in, not, say, 50 years where there'll be just executives who are running these companies. Mm-hmm. And that's starting to transition. You know, Bill Gates has moved out, but, you know, a lot of the, but the people who are taking over are still the original people at these companies. And so it's a very different dynamic when they're founding companies or in the first 10 to 20 years of their life, some of them short than that. But my, my point is, if we could change Mark Zuckerberg's personality 10 or 20 mm-hmm. degrees, would we have to- a totally different reality today? Yes. Yes. The company is a complete reflection of him. Uh, you know, the, the saying in Silicon Valley is the DNA of a company is, is what the problems and, and assets are later. Mm-hmm. And I think that's completely true with Facebook. So you always talk that he hasn't, ta- he hasn't never taken a humanities course. Well, I don't know if he ha- I did. I don't know what he did in his freshman year. But, you know, he doesn't seem to be that up on it. And he's trying now. He's trying to meet a lot of people. He's doing a lot of dinner parties, and mm-hmm. that's, which is typical of Silicon Valley. They're trying to do learning real quick. Um, when learning is about wisdom, you know, and a long it's a long period of wisdom. And see, most of these people, he took over this company when he was when he wasn't fully formed. Most of them were very young, and so they don't have a lot of reference of of any experience. These are their first jobs, if you think about it. And not that they lucked out, because they're full of like innovation and insight, and and have, have thought of something other people hadn't. But at the same time, they didn't have any life experiences and experience with the world when they're 
creations have so much impact on society, and so they don't think about it very carefully. Is he naive? He always seems to believe— He doesn't think he is the most powerful person on the planet. Zuckerberg does Yes, he is the most powerful person. He has the most important communication system that's ever been invented. Yeah. Maybe not forever, but for now, he's certainly one of the most—I think he's probably the most powerful person. But he's also only ever said, you know, what we're doing is connectivity, and connectivity is good. If we have connectivity, I have never heard him acknowledge any downside of connectivity. He doesn't want to. It's in his nature not to. He's um, very—he doesn't want to think about the, 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 the— I like that about him, sure, that's fine, but he should be more thoughtful now that he has this much power. One of the things I find interesting about him is he, and I've said this several times, he pushes away power. Mm -hmm. I'm not that important. Like, you can hear him say it in his mind, like, why are they bothering me? We together should solve this problem. He's always doing that. We as a community should solve this problem. And I don't say that he did it on purpose. Again, he's, he's of the people that I cover, Mark Zuckerberg is among the nicest. He's polite. He's thoughtful. He tries really hard. Like, I literally can't, like, Bill Gates back in that day, he Uh was obnoxious. He was arrogant. He was rude. Like, it was just, you know, very different personality type. And, And he's lovely, but it doesn't mean he's not being surrounded by people who are agreeing with him, that don't press him, or taking the responsibility that he has as one of the world's richest people. You know, there's a lot of rich people, but he's up there. And the person who controls the most important communications platform in the history of humanity controls. Not There's nobody else, just him, single person. The board doesn't have any control. The shareholders don't have any control. He controls them. But my point is that there is something about the person, whoever the person is, who could invent search, Mm -hmm. who could solve that problem that maybe we didn't even know it was a problem. What would accrue to them or the combination is billions and billions of dollars. Absolutely. Right? So that's the structural part of it. Yeah. Whoever invented this was going to have this world-changing company. Sure. And it doesn't really matter if they're nice guys, if they're quasi-libertarians, if they do retreats like Jack Dorsey does. But it does matter because they're making choices about, you know, here, for example, Jack Dorsey, great guy. He's actually somewhat very interesting, thoughtful person. The fact of the matter is they haven't really addressed the issues around um, bullying and and abuse on that platform. You know why? Because most of the people that created it and continue to run it, although I think they've sort of gotten the message, never felt unsafe a day in their lives. Mm -hmm. They never thought that thing. The reason why we have so many um, incredibly indulgent uh, startups in Silicon Valley, whether it's a a mattress company or whatever they are, or or a laundry service. Washio? Whatever. (laughs) I think it's still around. Anyway, there are tons of them. It's because a bunch of white guys needed solutions solved, and so that's what they made. And if Facebook had been a little less go-go growth and had been a little more we need to slow this down. We don't know what's going on in Myanmar. We don't know what's doing in the Philippines. Maybe we shouldn't grow there. If there was a mentality within it or an irritant in the system, it would have been different. And they would have been more carefully built. Now, a lot of people say, you know, the West was won by running out the, the running out to um, the West and just going and going and going and going. And right, I, right. I agree with that. But a lot of people died That's because right. of it. They are doing things you don't know they're doing. It's been proven over and over. Not asking permission is their favorite thing. Yes. And so, and they do it because that's how they breathe and because they think it's fine. I mean, years ago, I had one of the Google founders and they were taping all of television. It was a hundred years ago, like in the thing. And I was like, don't you have the copyright? They're like, why do we need that? They're just like that. They're just like, what do we need to do that? Why do we need to inform people? It's their attitude from the beginning. And what they have to do is go back and, and correct that. Yeah. Which, is, which was going to be corrected by government. That's it. Enough. Well, I think government needs to come in and correct it. It needs to look at the duopoly. Right. needs to look at the practices. Sure. And it needs to really hold them to account. If we could pass two rules to right. bring them in, what would they be? 
Oh, I think oh, there's so many. There's so many low-hanging fruit. I think probably um, having them not being able to use information that they didn't collect it for in the first place, a very clear thing, and then a, a, an ability for you to understand when you've been hacked immediately, not a week later, not days later, and for them to and, and then for them to fix it really quickly. But using the data for the thing they said they were going to use, and third parties aren't involved, and things aren't strung together, it just it becomes this thing that you then become numb to. Yeah. Is the thing that's stopping regulation some partisan dynamic, the no. age and knowledge of the legislators, no. the money. Um, whose money? Google, Facebook. Google paying for I think I think there's some very push there's some people pushing in the house for certain things, certain Congress. So Google lobbying money. Just all of them. I think I think probably in the Senate the probably the gating issue is Chuck Schumer and the Democratic side and the Republican side will say they just aren't interested in it. They Chuck Schumer, whose daughter works for Facebook. That has nothing to do with no. it. Um, but it doesn't I think he's just he's just more friendly to them. And, and that's not the reason why I think that's unfair. I think that what happens is you get like the great like Ted Cruz's and the like it's like it's it, they're being discriminatory. They focus on that crap and and that not real the real stuff, which is protection of consumer privacy. And in this information age, as we add these devices into the home, as we add uh, self driving cars, as we add constant surveillance with sensors, as we add 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 add, and so as we move into that area, we have to have. You know, we've been pretty lax about the rules of the road for these people, and we need to not be. And by the and the same time, not push down innovation. That's re- that is really important. But they tend to. Um, the, the tech people tend to say there's two things they say is that you don't want to stop innovation. I can't believe a, a multi the richest people on the planet are saying you don't want to stop us from getting big. Like, yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like you're monsters, like that kind of thing. We're way past that. We're way point. past exactly. that point. And, and by the way, you're hurting small companies because yeah. you're so friggin' big. It's part of the business model, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. They're shutting down everybody. And then their other argument is, well, you don't want China to take over the internet. Yeah. I do not. But that is that my when I was interviewing Mark Zuckerberg, he essentially did this, you know, well, you know, they're really innovative. They get to do anything they want in China. They get to do facial recognition. They get to do this. And so his argument was I called it the Xi or me argument. And yeah. I'm like, I don't like either choice. I don't want you or him. I don't want him more than you. But it, do, are you yeah. my other choice? Yeah. So I want a, I want a, a robust uh, privacy bill that protects consumers, number one, and two, allows for small businesses and small startups to thrive, and and the, and the big people don't get to take the advantage of their platforms. Jeremy is exactly what dictators like the Saudis and Putin Jeremy. also say. Yeah. They say, well, what do you want? You, want, do you want him or uh, the Russians whatever, can build a port? Whatever. I, yeah. Let's not get into Trump and the rest of that. They, I mean, they're the biggest troll on the planet. So what's Bill Gates's flaw? Oh, he's arrogant. He's he's arrogant. He thinks he, he knows wrong? better. Yes, a lot of things. Yeah, so he got the government slapped him hard. Let's slap Michael, and that was be- directly because of his personality, which was aggressive to the point of um, of breaking the law. Yeah. Like he did, he did. He just couldn't stop d- dominating, and they stopped him. And so. I would say Microsoft is better for that, for today. And I would also say the Internet's better. Google now exists. Lots of things come out of stopping giant companies. The AT&T breakup resulted in all this incredible innovation. It always does. When things get too big, if you break them up a little bit, it creates a, an environment where companies can thrive and good companies can. I think he did take a humanities course at Harvard, he, by the way. Bill? I don't yeah. know. I don't he know. Probably been, he, listen, the stuff he's doing around his philanthropy – Fantastic. And I credit a lot equally his wife, if not more. She's really an incredible woman. Is this the kind of journalism you always wanted to do? Yeah, I always had an opinion. So define what what is this well, type of journalism? I think I, you know, that appeals one of the to things, a 20-year-old I don't, I don't like 
pundits, particularly, because mm-hmm. they just, you know, you watch cable and you're like, where did you get that information? Right. You're not a, you know, you're not an expert. I think I, I do amazing. I was a very good reporter. I am a, I'm a better reporter than pretty much everyone, if I want to be, like if I feel like doing reporting. So what I try to do is I do the reporting and then I analyze and comment. And yeah. so nothing I say doesn't come from knowing. Yeah. So I, then I form opinions. And more and more, I think I've gotten so much knowledge that I have like, okay, here's what's happening. Here's the concept of what's occurring here. My friend Folkenflik calls that the earned opinion. Yes, exactly. That's so a great way to put it. The you earned opinion. He's a good guy. He's the best. Yeah. You won't always say this will definitely happen, right. but you'll go as far yeah. as to express your certainty without right. doing the yeah. both sides say and there are, right. you know. And people uh, appreciate it, especially when you say you're wrong. Oh, I didn't if you have a good track right. record. Yes, you have right. a good track right. record. And I think the obvious question is the most important part of what I do is I don't I'm, reporters are notoriously shy to ask questions. Have you ever noticed that? Yes. They just don't want to offend people. They do an ingratiating they, thing. Or they yeah. just don't say anything. You mm-hmm. just sit there and they're so docile a lot of the time. And so I just like, what's with that? What's with that would be the name of my book. What's with <laughs> that? Like, like, I sound like Jerry uh, Seinfeld. <laughs> the other thing that I find really great and interesting about you uh, female journalist friends of mine mm-hmm. love you and yes. they think that you're different than most other female journalists. Yes. And I was thinking about this and I was listening to a podcast that Tyler Cowen does and he had the uh, philosophy professor uh, Rebecca Kukla on mm-hmm. and she was saying some stuff and I'm like, ooh, this describes, I'd love to play this for Kara Swisher and see what she thinks. He, he asked her about what don't most people, including women, get about females and communicating. Here was her answer. I think that almost any way in which we position ourselves, if, if we try to be polite and make nice, then we come off as weak. If we don't make nice, then we're held to a higher standard for our um, appropriate behavior than men are. I think there's almost no way we can position ourselves so that we sound as experts. So oftentimes, the content of our words matters less than our embodied presentation as a woman. And my question for you is, in the beginning, did you think that were true and then just said, I don't care? Or don't did care. it never even occur to you? You know, I think I get a tiny bit more pressure of being gay. I know it sounds dumb, but men tend to be a better with me. I hate to say this, but it just seems like I can get say things that that straight women can't sometimes. I think that. I do believe that. I do believe there's a weird dynamic going on. And I, I, just, I just couldn't – I just didn't care what people thought of me. I think that's the key part. I was like, one thing is I'm somewhat funny, so I can be funny. And so that sort of, I'm not, it's not without humor. Can you mentor women to act more like you? Or is it like if we asked Ted Williams to be a hitting coach, he wasn't good at it because he he was just so naturally good, he couldn't communicate that. I think women don't, I say that so a lot of women, don't be a good girl. Don't be the good girl. Don't be a bad girl, but don't be like... People tend to be agreeable or they're, if when they're not agreeing, they tend to say things and they want to say no. Or That's the one thing, especially about young people, it drives me crazy when I'm talking to them. Even older people in their careers, they're like, well, if I do this, I, this could happen. And they're like 23, 24. And I'm yeah. like, you got nothing at risk. There's nothing that's truly at risk for you. Just do what you want and, and stuff like that. Be selfish about what you want in your career. I, I'm so selfish about my career. I'm like, this pleases me, and therefore, if it pleases me, I'll make something that will hire people, it will create value. I think what happens is they get on this achievement track, they achieve in high school, they achieve in college. They're always, like, they're mm-hmm. wanting to achieve and and please people. 
Um, and and I, I don't think that gets you. I think you, if you should think really hard. I'm, I'm the best parent with my kids. Sometimes when they have homework, I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> don't do it. It doesn't matter. Like, like yeah. who cares? Just learn how to think. Like, and, I, and the teachers hate it. They're like, oh, they didn't do their homework. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, you need to talk to them about it. I'm like, no, it doesn't matter. Like stuff like that. But I want them to th- if they don't think or they don't try their hardest, that's a very different thing. But but most kids today, they're they're on this achievement track and then they become risk free. And yeah, the ones who are riskier are the ones that do well. And uh, the last, so I so then to as the last question, right, sure. if you do this stuff that pleases you, are you as happy as you've ever been professionally? I, I have always been happy. I'm yeah. sorry, people are like, oh, you've been unhappy. I'm like, I'm never not happy. Are you I anxious? Don't. No. Do you like the effects of marijuana and chocolate? No, I don't. I don't smoke. I never took drugs. Do you tend to overeat? No. Oh, you don't overeat? No, I don't. I'm I'm checking you for anandamide. Do you know what that is? No, what's that? Oh, it's the bliss molecule. I believe I have it, and I bet you have it. I don't. Food is not my... But other than that, the marijuana, the... I don't take any drugs. It's really crazy. I literally was the only... People with anandamide do not like it. I don't. I never took... I never... Someone was... I'll tell you this one story. I went back to college, one of my college reunions many years ago. And someone was like, oh, you really took a lot of cocaine in college. And I was like, I've never seen cocaine. <laughs> I still to this day have never seen cocaine except in a magazine. Like, oh, that's a picture of a pile of cocaine or some like narcos my son was watching. But literally, I was like, I've never seen cocaine. They're like, oh. And I thought, oh, my God, they think I'm a cocaine addict because I'm like egomaniacal and manic. Like, right? So I was like, wow, whoa, man, I don't take drugs. I've never taken ecstasy. I literally tried marijuana once. I don't like smoke. I tried an edible recently. It was just, I just was like, ew, it tasted bad. Like, that was it. One edible in my mm-hmm. life. One, mm-hmm. one. And the edible tasted bad. I just was like, ugh, I spit it out. I was like, this is disgusting. And then I had like a lifesaver. I was happy with that. I'm glad we ended there. Yeah. Kara Swisher. Drug free. Kara Swisher is part of the D.A.R.E. program. Yes. Kara Swisher is all over your media feed. Everywhere. Including the Recode Decode podcast. Yes. Don't miss that. Thank you, Kara. Thank you. And now the spiel, this horrible slaughter in New Zealand is so much like so much in 2019. Shocking, but not surprising. 49 people dead as of this telling. There were two mosques. There was one gunman. There were infinite amounts of hate. The terrorist was radicalized and steeped in, you guessed it, online communities like 8chan, twice as bad as 4chan. Also posted a lot to Reddit. And as we shall see, he went for the Facebook Live broadcast of the slaughter. So New Zealand now has 49 people dead because a man feared immigrants and Muslims. No Muslim has ever harmed anyone in New Zealand in a terrorist attack, ever, in its history. A University of Maryland database called the World Terrorism Database keeps track of every terrorism attack, and it defines terrorism pretty broadly. It's quite expansive. Anything that really could be considered terrorism, they put in the database. So I checked out the database. Before this attack, here was the most recent terrorist attack in New Zealand. 2416, assailants threw two Molotov cocktails at the Office of Social Development Minister Ann Tolley. There were no casualties. No group claimed responsibility for the incident. However, sources stated that the attack was carried out in protest of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. 
There are exactly 20 terrorist attacks or so-called terrorist attacks in the history of New Zealand before this one. Most include threats and a mailing of suspicious substance and it didn't hurt anyone. One person has ever been killed in a terrorist attack before the one that we're talking about today. I will read you the only terrorist attack ever to have caused a fatality in New Zealand. This was 1984. A suitcase bomb detonated at the Wellington Trades Hall in Wellington. The explosion killed caretaker Ernie Abbott and his dog Patches. No group claimed responsibility for attack given the nature of the attack. Authorities suspect anti-union extremism. So how is it? That a maniac becomes so filled with rage and hate for outsiders in a land untouched by violence from outsiders. Well, it doesn't help when this is the message of the person who's normally called the world's most powerful man. Today, Donald Trump offered condolences to New Zealand, and then he moved on to his real agenda, strongly defending his veto of a bill that would have blocked his precious wall. And here he is offering justification for that wall. It is a tremendous national emergency. It is a tremendous crisis. Last month, more than 76,000 illegal migrants arrived at our border. We're on track for a million illegal aliens to rush our borders. People hate the word invasion, but that's what it is. It's an invasion of drugs and criminals and people. Well, if he hates to call it an invasion, I hate to read from a twisted manifesto of a shooter, but I think I have to. Listen to the similarities. The gunman in New Zealand wrote, We are experiencing an invasion on a level never before seen in history. Millions of people pouring across our borders illegally, invited by the state and corporate entities to replace the white people who have failed to reproduce, failed to create cheap labor, new consumers, and tax base. The crisis of mass immigration and sub-replacement fertility is an assault on the European people that, if not combated, will ultimately result in the complete racial and cultural replacement of the European people. Yeah. But I have to say, my initial thoughts didn't run towards Trump. I initially asked, how does a man in a peaceful, protected-by-oceans New Zealand come to develop such an ideology of hateful, violent xenophobia? I'm sure he was mentally not well, But how does the idea take hold so virulently? The answer is, of course, the internet. Not terribly underground sites. Doesn't have to be the dark web. And using the internet, he linked up with like-minded people. He was radicalized by them. They fed his notions of rage and besiegement, and probably he theirs. And he did live stream the attack on Facebook. This was to be, Facebook was to be, literally the stage for his acts. And it was probably also a swamp for his ideas, or at least the gateway to the swamp. Because the enabler, if not the architect, of all of this connectiveness, this connectiveness between the sick and the evil, the aggrieved and the insane, that person, Mark Zuckerberg, lacks the ability to see connectivity as anything other than a virtue. Change starts local. Even global change starts small with people like us. In our generation, the struggle of whether we connect more, whether we achieve our greatest opportunities, comes down to this. Your ability to build communities and create a world where every single person has a sense of purpose. No matter the purpose, no matter the motivation, 
I was at the Harvard commencement two years ago. And also there, Zuckerberg sought to shame those who might question the unalloyed good that was constant and ubiquitous connectivity. This is the struggle of our time. The forces of freedom, openness, and global community against the forces of authoritarianism, isolationism, and nationalism. Forces for the flow of knowledge, trade, and immigration against those who would slow them down. This is not a battle of nations. It is a battle of ideas. There are people in every country for more global connection, and there are good people against it. What a construction. Oh, there are good people against global connection. But of course, I'm going to lump those good people in with the forces of authoritarianism, isolationism, and nationalism. New Zealand is not authoritarian, but they have a healthy nationalism that includes ideas like pluralism, which are fostered in part by their isolation. Whereas the gunman connected himself to ideas of racial purity and a global community of violence. And then Zuckerberg basically gave away the game. If I had to know everything about connecting people before I got started, I never would have built Facebook. Yeah, it doesn't seem like he understands anything now. This wasn't the only time Zuckerberg touted connectivity as the noblest purpose to which one could aspire. When Facebook passed a billion users, he took to his network to celebrate with Facebook's first advertisement. And that advertisement was called The Things That Connect Us. And Zuckerberg wrote about the advertisement, quote, Facebook isn't the first thing people have made to help us connect. We honor the everyday things people have always made to bring us together. Chairs, doorbells, airplanes, bridges, games. These are the things that connect us. And now Facebook is a part of this tradition of things that connect us too. Chairs, doorbells, airplanes, manifestos, ideas, message boards, lies. Yes, and we connect. We connect through our passions, which include the dark ones. We connect our ideas, even the bad ones. We connect to our plans, even the evil ones. I love ideas and I celebrate them, but I don't think they're all kittens. Some have sharp claws. When you have insidious ideas running wild in the world and when you have given no thought how to stop or sidetrack or dissuade or quash or question or prevent them, it is irresponsible. When all your effort and all your genius goes into how to monetize them, this is inevitable. This is what happens. Mark Zuckerberg thinks about connection like the Dalai Lama thinks of Zen or the Pope thinks of grace, but he should think about it like early man thought of fire. He should regard the power of connection less mystically and more realistically. For all the positives of connection, he should also look at it a bit like an epidemiologist looks at vectors of contagion, or a hunter looks at prey, or a con artist looks at the delicate human psyche. I communicate for a living, and my life is spent spreading good ideas, I hope, and countering bad ones effectively, I hope. Mark Zuckerberg and those of his ilk have not only brazenly, wantonly, carelessly made a perfect anxiety machine, they've also built an autobahn and given no thought to airbags or crumple zones or driver training or DUI laws because speed, freedom, locomotion. And let's be real. It's done. It's over. It's all too late. We gave a kid a ton of power and he took it 
And he said two or three amoral words that we all mistook for moral because it seemed like a cool TED talk or maybe because we all had an early share of the stock. We didn't think the downside through. We didn't consider the possibilities. And now there is this potent potential force for destruction in the world. And to that force, we are all connected. That is it for today's show. The Gist is produced by Pierre Bienname and Daniel Schrader, who have penned the op-ed, I support Mike Pesca's creative impulses, but I would tell him not to imitate an ostrich. TJ Raphael, senior producer of Slate Podcast, couldn't get Facebook for the first few years on her dial-up, just no connection. The Gist, as much as Tom Tillis disappointed me in his wavering, I still respect him for overcoming that stammer and delighting us all through song and mirth as when he paired with Terry Bradshaw and tried to win the cannonball run. Umpru Depru Dupru, and thanks for listening. I've never seen it. Like, why would I see it? No one gives maybe it to me. Maybe you've seen it many times. No, well, like, you know what? That's good. I have super bad eyesight. If I take off my glasses, I wouldn't see anything. That's the other thing.